Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, Stated Clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you, Rachel, and welcome everyone to this week's edition of In All Things, a weekly podcast of the EPC. Whether you are on the Peloton, taking a walk around the neighborhood, or perhaps driving to work, uh, we're grateful that you have taken the time to join us and listen in to another conversation that we hope will be an encouragement not only to you and to your church, uh, but we hope ultimately puts a smile on the face of the Lord himself. Our guest this week is a friend of mine named Doug Ressler. Doug is the uh, lead pastor of what we call Pepsi. You know, I'm a Coke guy, but this is this is actually the Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church uh, outside of Denver, Colorado. Doug wears a lot of different hats. He has one particular hat that I'm very fond of, but he has actual metaphorical hats that, that he wears, both as an adjunct professor at Denver Theological Seminary. He's not only the lead pastor at, uh, at Pepsi, but he also serves on our denomination's ministerial vocation committee. For about five or six years, he served as the chair of the ministerial committee of the Presbyterian of the West. But our conversation today is going to be largely about Doug's involvement in East Africa through a particular ministry that he's going to tell us more about in a second. So, Doug, welcome to In All Things. Thanks for having me, Dean. It's great to be here. It's a delight to have you here. We're grateful for the time together. So in our conversation today, um, you're going to hear not only more about Doug, but particularly why it is that a pastor being involved in a ministry beyond the local church, and Doug has a long history of that, is not only a blessing to him, but also a blessing to that congregation. And so perhaps many uh, of you are possessive of not wanting your pastor to be too involved in things outside of your local congregation. And yet what you may not realize in doing that is that you're not only perhaps hurting that pastor from things that would help them to grow and develop and become a better servant of Jesus, but it may also be inhibiting the discipleship development of your own congregation. So we're going to dig into some of those things in just a few minutes. Now, before we do that, let's uh, talk about our sponsor for today's broadcast, and that is one of our new presbyteries, the Presbytery of the Coastal Mid-Atlantic. You may remember that the EPC not too long ago had eight presbyteries, and then we had 12 presbyteries, and now we are up to 16 presbyteries, because as of our 42nd General Assembly, at the conclusion of that assembly, the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic, which was our largest presbytery, has multiplied, not divided, multiplied into three. If you want to get in trouble with any of the people in those presbyteries, say that they divided and they will teach you properly that the church multiplies as it grows. And so uh, they've multiplied from the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic into three distinct presbyteries, the Presbytery of the Central Carolinas, the Presbytery of Coastal Mid-Atlantic, and the Presbytery of New River. And today we're highlighting the Presbytery of the Coastal Mid-Atlantic. 
stated clerk for the Coastal Mid-Atlantic is Duke Linenberry, a ruling elder in Wilmington, North Carolina. The moderator-elect is Matt Walton. I had the chance to meet Matt recently at our gathering of moderators here at the Office of General Assembly. Very excited for his leadership coming in. This presbytery, though it's young and just getting started, is pretty impressive. They have a church development team. They have a church health team. They have not only a candidate's care team, they have actually a paid missional director to help that presbytery think about how to reach their communities better for the gospel. They have a church planning team. They have a stewardship team. They have a world missions team. So they're coming in on the ground floor, inheriting a lot of very rich experience and DNA from the old Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic, and they're already getting off to a great start. Now, if you're wondering where the Presbytery of the Coastal of the Mid-Atlantic is, just so you can pray for them, think about those areas that are probably about an hour to an hour and a half off the Atlantic coast from the northern parts of Virginia to the southernmost part of South Carolina. So it goes, as its name would suggest, all along the coast there. And if you want more information on that, want to see a a picture and get the contact information for those people from the new Presbytery of the Coastal Mid-Atlantic, you can get that information by going to our website, which is epc.org, epc.org, and uh, just pull down a little bit about our presbyteries, and that way you'll know how to pray for some of your brothers and sisters in Christ around United States. So with that in mind, let's get to our conversation today and, and sit down and go deep with our guest. Doug, help us to get to know you a little bit better by giving us a little bit of your background, a brief bio so people can get some context. Yeah, I, my story with Jesus begins back in 1992. I was a sophomore in college coming off a terrible, terrible year, drinking too heavily, skipping school, flunking out of college actually, and a friend of mine invited me to a Presbyterian campus ministry. It was just a, actually it was a non, you know, they kind of were non-denominational, but it was based out of a Presbyterian church, an old PCUSA church called First Pres up in Boulder. He invited me and I went on one Tuesday night and I heard the gospel in a way I'd never heard it preached before by a guy named Mike Gaffney. Mike is now a vice president with Young Life, uh, running all of their ministries over in Asia. Even though I'd grown up in church my whole life, um, no one had ever told me I needed a personal relationship with Jesus until that night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he said, hey, get involved in a Bible study. I did, and uh, we studied the Book of Romans that year. That's not where I would recommend most people start their Christian journey, but that's where I began mine. And boy, after that, it was like things began to roll. Um, came did to you faith. Have Twenty minutes of silence. <laughs> right. Came to faith that year. Uh, got my call to ministry almost immediately. Met my wife, or the woman who would become my wife uh, that year. Pretty soon, the next thing I know, I'm off to seminary at Princeton, and then from there, just have served in various capacities around the United States, whether. Small churches, medium-sized churches, now a little bit larger church. Some of the things you mentioned earlier, you know, I get a chance to teach at Denver Seminary on evangelism and mission. That's the main subjects that I teach over there. Get to serve on the board of Petros Network, as well as serve our denomination, which I love as well. So lots of different things. I'm kind of a guy that likes to have a lot of different balls in the air. So it really, it really feeds my soul. In your background, you've done church planning, and you realized the hard way that was not for you. (laughs) Yes, you do not want to talk to me about church planning. I am a failed church planner, yes. But you did, in that process, find out what you are passionate about and gifted to do, which is you absolutely love church revitalization. Yeah, I've had really the opportunity, um, starting in seminary with a medium-sized church, to get involved in a church that was really in decline and struggling in a lot of ways and begin to help them see a new path forward, a new way forward. 
that was a short period of time, so I wasn't actually there to see that all the way through, but began some things there, which was really great and and bore fruit later. Then went down to Mobile, very small church um, on the western edge of Mobile, and over six years really watched God revitalize that church, and they, you know, became intergenerational and multiracial, and, and that was a beautiful, beautiful thing to just have a front row seat to. Then, yeah, had that sort of two years of failed church planting ministry, in which case, of course, you know, you learn a lot about yourself through failure, and I learned a lot about myself and a lot about Jesus's commitment to me, which was amazing. And that's another story for maybe another time, but almost like a second conversion experience there for me, really. And then now in my current church, walking into Pepsi after a time of real struggle and conflict in that particular church and being able to help them over the last 13 years really see a lot of revitalization, a lot of new life come back into that church and watch it get healthy and strong. And, and boy, what a privilege it is to serve them um, as, their, as one of their pastors. So yeah, it's, it's been really great. So that's one of the, uh, we call them sometimes the strategic priorities. Mm-hmm. We're thinking of them now more as gospel priorities because the way in which the gospel is carried out we call that transformation, but that's right. really what you're calling revitalization. Yeah, and uh, and that one of the things I've always thought, Doug, and you exemplify this, is that you can't really have a transformed church unless you also have a transformed pastor. Right, right. Both have to be healthy. That's right. Both have to be vibrant. What are the things you think as people are listening in and they desire their church to be vibrant and revitalized? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you have a pastor listening in saying, I, I wish that was mm-hmm. us. That is not the case. What tips would you give them in terms of, let's start with the pastor's mm-hmm. revitalization. What, what counsel would you offer? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It's something I've put a lot of thought into, Dean, and actually really worked some folks through, you know, just some different things as it relates to all of this. And you're absolutely right. It you can't take people to a place where you are not yourself. And so if you are not mm-hmm. vitalized as a pastor, you're not going to be able to lead a revitalization mm-hmm. effort. You just can't do it. And I would say the same is true for the session. If your session is not a vital body, a life-giving body, then they're not going to be able to give life to their to their congregation and, and lead in the way that we really need. And so I really believe that it, it, it fundamentally has to start with the pastor not in a top-down way, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about organization here. We're talking about that pastor's life with Christ. We're talking about that pastor organizing their own life, his or her own life, in such a way that they make sure they retain a vital connection to Jesus. And that could be something as simple as take your Sabbath every week, mm-hmm. right? Make sure that you're taking your vacation every year. But Doug, Those I kinds work of on the Sabbath. I know, I know, I know, right? We all, we all know the pressures, and I feel them too. So, I mean, again, I'm involved in a million things. So I feel them too, but I take a Sabbath every single week. I spend time with Jesus every single day. I take my vacation every single year. And I'm, now I'm a pretty regimented person, and so those, those things kind of work for me. But it, whatever it is that, that makes you a vital person, in, just in, in Jesus, put the pastor's title aside for a moment, just whatever it takes for you to have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, that's probably the most important thing you can do for your church. That's how I look at it. And right. so when I work with pastors, that's, the, that's where we start. Then we talk about how do you map that out for a session, and then how do you map that out for the congregation. You know, so many congregational revitalization efforts begin kind of with the congregation. Mm. And with that in mind, I think that's a few circles out. I tend to think in concentric circles. So the inner circle is the pastor and Jesus, then the session and the pastor and Jesus, and then the congregation. And if you map it out that way, 
at least in my experience, that's where I have found the greatest success. And uh, so it does. It begins with the pastor being vital, which kind of leads to a little bit of our conversation that's exactly today, right? Where you're reading yeah. my mind. Going over to Africa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, you start to map out again. What is it that makes us vital? Well, for me, having the privilege of being a part of one of the great revival movements in the world today, I spend about a month over in Africa every year, two weeks in the spring, two weeks in the fall. It charges my batteries like you would not believe. And you said uh, you you fly home and you get home yeah. on Saturday night and you're preaching on preaching Sunday on morning Sunday morning because you've got this Holy Spirit windage. That's right. I, I can't not preach on Sunday morning. And my, in fact, my congregation laughs at me. They're like, you know, the Doug that comes back from Africa is not the same Doug that goes to Africa, right? right? right. And they love the energy that comes right. back. They love the the passion, the joy, the stories that get told. It fills their sails now, yeah. right? And so that's the blessing that gets, that's just, I just become the vessel at yeah. that point, you know. And it creates a tailwind and you find people caught up in that tailwind and then right. they want to travel with you. And right. then they have that same kind of cross-cultural experience right. where they go to that place in the world where you heard me say before, where the veil is thin. That's right. And they get to experience an almost apostolic feel of the church right. that perhaps in a lot of Western culture we don't experience on a regular basis mm-hmm. and then they come home stronger disciples of Jesus. That's right. And, and and if your people are, you know, if pastors are listening, your people are probably like my people, it's so easy in our culture today to get discouraged to think where is God moving? And our churches are struggling or declining or plateauing or whatever it might be. And the the, the culture feels like it's becoming either more apathetic or just more hostile or whatever it might be. It is so easy to get discouraged. And so when you go to the places around the world where the kingdom is on the move in such a powerful way and you're seeing people come to faith and you're seeing miracles take place and all of these kinds of things, boy, it does remind you, okay, yeah, the kingdom of God is much bigger than what's going on maybe in my church, in my local community, in our state, in our nation. And that helps you, again, capture, I think, that global vision that God wants us to have that really keeps us moving when things get tough. We contend towards, pastors and churches contend towards being more parochial, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. There's, there's absolutely, we're called to be missional. That's mm-hmm. that's part of that's the right. mission statement of the EPC is that we're Presbyterian Reformed Evangelical yep. and Missional as we carry out the Great Commission. So absolutely focus on your one, three, and five mile radius mm-hmm, as the sure. 719 talks about. But at the same time, talk to us a little bit about how your exposure and your connection to the global church, opening up your perspective, your vision, How does that make you a better pastor? Well, I would say a couple of different things. Number one, like I said, going over, being a part of this revival movement revives my own soul. So there's a so there's a personal transformation. Absolutely. That's always taking place. I've been doing this now over 10 years. I've been over there now probably 15, 16 times. And every time I come back, I am just filled and almost overflowing with energy and just vitalization. And so it just really, like I said, charges my batteries. And then it takes about six months for those batteries to kind of wear out. And then I need to go again, you know, so that that's number one. But number two, as what's happening in my community, and I think it's happening in communities all across the country, of course, is that the globe is now coming to us. Mm. You know, I live in Parker, Colorado, which is this suburb of Denver that's south and east of Denver, that's 90% white. And yet we have more and more international families moving into our community. You said you have a large group of people from India that are moving. From India. That's right. My wife, who ran an early learning program for one of the local charter schools that's been the top charter school in our county for a long, long time. She just finished that work. But her last couple of years, 29 different languages in this little early learning center preschool you know, that she's doing. So you're talking about now the globe coming to us. And so by being engaged internationally, going to places, working cross-culturally, 
We come back home and guess what? We can now do that locally too because they're there. They're present. They're among us. We now have an Indian grocery store and two Indian restaurants. And we have Ethiopians within shouting distance of us up in Aurora and Somalis and Burundians and all kinds of different folks from all kinds of different cultures around the world. And we, because of our engagement globally, are able now to come back home and and ask the questions about how does our church become a place where the cultures can come and gather and be, be together and we're starting to see that happen. Indian families showing up, Malawian families showing up, Brazilian families showing up, because there's an awareness that, oh, this pastor and this group of people and these leaders, they know what it's like to go, and they've made some space for us. And it's hard to describe, but it's, it's well, just a feel to Well, you make the space for us, and I think mm-hmm. that's actually, I'm going to unpack that for a second, yeah. because one of the things I think you learn when you travel to be a part of the global south or the, mm-hmm. the, the larger global church is that almost everywhere outside of Western culture, Probably the, as Rosaria Butterfield says, the kind of the front door yeah. that opens people to the gospel is this biblical hospitality. Yes. yes. So when you experience that mm-hmm. and you kind of step into that as the outsider and yeah. you find that's the case, you come home and when people from those different cultures start coming to your facility mm-hmm. and your fellowship and they experience that, that's when there's kind of this Oh, so the learning of the global church is that radical hospitality, biblical hospitality actually opens the door to this kind of multicultural kingdom and evangelism and all of the other stuff. So that that's a learning that comes directly across the pond to you. That's exactly right. And, and when you experience it over there and then you come back and, and as you're engaging with folks, they invite you into their homes, they invite you into their lives. You say, yes, you end up in those spaces all kinds of incredible things break loose. And so so what ends up happening, of course, is this mission of God that we're a part of, right? It's it's not just something we do over there. It's something we do right outside our front yeah. door. And, and God has a way of connecting those two worlds and bringing those two worlds together. Yeah, so I'm going to go somewhere I didn't tee up for you that we were sure. going to go, but it just hit me a few seconds ago that I feel like I want to go there with yeah. you. Talk to us a little bit about when you go to some place like Somalia or to Ethiopia, Uganda, some of the places where you regularly teach and preach and and do the ministry that you do. Talk to us about how your experience with the way the Holy Spirit operates in those places actually helps you or affects Pepsi when you come home to the Parker Church. I mean, the, the experience with the Global South and the Holy Spirit is maybe a little different than the way at least Presbyterians in Western culture have had an experience with the Holy Spirit. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you've learned and experienced and how that kind of comes back with you as well? Yeah, sure. So the the ministry I'm a part of over the last 20 years has planted over 6,300 churches in Ethiopia, Uganda, South Sudan, Djibouti, and we have some churches in Myanmar as well. Okay, just full stop. Right. How many? Over 6,300. Yeah, I know (laughs) it's crazy, right? Right. And we've had over 1.2 now million converts. So again, it's just this unbelievable thing that's happening. And we count noses and we can talk about that again if people want more information about that. But the sort of standard story that we hear because we interview every single church planter every time we go over there and do a training conference, which again is twice a year. Um, We sit down with them one-on-one, and we're asking them about their church, how their church got planted, the whole thing. The standard, pretty common story that we hear 
is the church planter shows up in an unreached village. This is a village that does not have a church. They've never heard the gospel before. They walk into the village. They begin to preach about Jesus. They're typically persecuted. They're, that can come in all kinds of forms. And at some point in time, though, there is an encounter. Someone gets sick or someone dies or something happens in the village that the local witch doctor or the local imam or the local spiritual leader, whoever that is, can't seem to handle. And so out of desperation, the community comes to the church planter and asks the church planter to intervene. And the church planter prays. And the next thing that happens is the dead are raised or the sick person is healed or something like that happens. Now, I have seen this with my own eyes, actually, too. I've experienced this in my own experience with them walking alongside these church planters, these amazing things that God does. Demons are cast out. People are healed. The dead are raised. All of the signs and wonders that we read about in Acts are taking place. Then I come back, and again, we start to see some of that same stuff break loose in our own congregation. Now, what I tell our folks is that just because it looks different over in Parker, Colorado, than it does in Gojo, Ethiopia, (laughs) doesn't mean it's a different spirit. It's the same spirit, maybe working through our healthcare system to bring healing for those who have cancer, or maybe it's someone who's experienced demonic oppression and they're set free. We actually have a freedom prayer team at our church now that, that specializes in praying with people through spiritually oppressive experiences to set them free from those things. And so we've, again, seen all kinds of things begin to shake loose a little bit, which again, then, as these international families are coming in, Right, it, It's, again, part of the hospitality. Oh, this is a group of people who understand a little bit, at least, of what we experience back home. Maybe it's in India or in Malawi or these other places because they've experienced these things. They've seen some of these things, and now all of a sudden they're walking into a congregation that has at least some awareness of those things, some experience of those things because they've been overseas and they've seen those things, and now they're here back home, and we're able to translate, even in our own context, the ways in which the Holy Spirit are working. So I guess bottom line is for us is I I believe it helps us have the eyes to see how the Holy Spirit is working in our own context. Whereas if we didn't have this experience, I don't think we'd be as aware of how the Holy Spirit is moving. You were in Israel this year. and, And I always tell people the benefit of going to Israel is that before you go to Israel, you read the Bible in black and white. Right. And after you go to Israel, you see the Bible in color. Right. Now, when I read of Jesus walking on the water, I can see it. When I know the winds come through, right. I know right where that break is in the hills where the wind would have funneled through, and I can picture Capernaum and like all of those things on this rock, I will build my church. I, I know where that was, <laughs> and your understanding of the scripture grows in a kind of dimensionality. And I think time in the global south, for those of us who are Westerners, it kind of does that for the book of Acts for right. me. When I'm in Sierra Leone and I read the book of Acts, it feels like it's not some series of stories mm-hmm. from some right. faraway thing that could be like a myth. You know, this yeah. is these are great stories that carry truths, but yeah. but we know that the genre is actually historical narrative, right? That's right. This actually happened. That's right. And when you step into a place where you're experiencing some of those same realities, yeah. it can only add to the richness and dimension of when you read the scriptures. Because when you read a story about you know a demon being cast out, and you've actually been there when that's right. occurred, it changes the way you read that passage. It 100% does. And really briefly, I mean, the, the biggest thing I've experienced, you know, single greatest experience I had of the Holy Spirit over there was we were running a medical clinic up in the highlands of Ethiopia in a place where they had no health care whatsoever, no access to health care. And we had a, actually a surgeon with us from Kaiser. And he's doing these minor surgeries kind of throughout the week and just different things along with two other doctors that we had. 
one of whom not only was a doctor, but taught medicine at the University of Colorado. So we're talking about high-level doctors here, people who really have a lot of experience around the world, have been around the world, they've seen things, they've done things. So this surgeon goes in to remove a tumor from the skull of a a little four-year-old girl. You know, we're up in the highlands. We have nothing. We have no x-rays, nothing like that. And so he, he hits the tumor with lidocaine to numb it, thinking, I'll just numb it, and then we'll excise this thing. He did not know that the tumor had breached the skull, so the lidocaine goes right into the brain, and the little girl dies, like right in front of us. Mm. And they try to revive her. They CPR the whole thing. Um, She's gone. And so he just starts weeping, and the doctors are trying to console, and so there's a couple of folks over there trying to console him. We don't quite know what to do. Our Ethiopian pastors that are watching this, they just sort of gather around the little girl. Not a lot of drama or anything like that. They just start praying and laying hands on this little girl. They pray, and, you know, I'm looking at one of my elders who's with me, and his name is Doug as well, and so Doug and I are, like, looking at each other, like, what do we do? I guess we just join in and pray. I mean, so we, we just start praying, too. We don't know what to expect. And I don't know. It felt like a half hour to me. Other people have reported, like, different time periods, but time sort of constricts or contracts when you're in these spaces. But a certain period of time has passed, and all of a sudden that little girl sat up right in front of me. And I got to tell you, I about peed my pants. I mean, I wasn't prepared <laughs> for this. Right. Uh, took her down to the hospital in Otis, four and a half hours away, got her taken care of. She's back up later in the week, run around, doesn't seem to be any ill effects. And I'm talking to the doctor at the end of the week, the doctor that actually teaches medicine at CU. His name is Vern. He's passed away now, but a great man of God. We're, we're driving down the mountain at the end of the week. And I'm like, okay, so Vern, give me the medical definition of what just happened there. And he's like, Doug, that was resurrection. There's no other explanation for what just took place. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have been, again, in the presence of this incredible miracle of the Holy right. Spirit. How many times so. have you read John 11, right? right? You're like, oh, you know, okay, Mary, Martha, right. had you totally. been here, and, yeah. and he raises him, right. and you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah. know that's true, right. but uh, you're yeah. sitting there when the little girl sits up. That's right. Your faith is never the same. That's after. exactly right. So again, going back to black and white versus you know, living color or, yeah. you know, 4D to, you know, however you want to frame it, it makes that kind of stuff come alive. Yeah. And it's not just you, but you have people, you know, I, I, I love picturing that scene. Doug, what do you think? I don't know, Doug, what do you think? Doug, what do you think? I don't know, Doug, what do you think? You know, um, oh my so just as we wrap this up, I'm sure. going to just remind our listeners of the vision statement of the EPC yeah. and ask you to comment on how what we've been talking about actually is the kind of fleshing out of this vision, actually. To the glory of God, the EPC family, and I'm thinking about you uh, with the Petros Network, you with people from Parker Evangelical Presbyterian Church, you with people from Denver Seminary, you with people from that community who are traveling together. The EPC family aspires to embody and proclaim Jesus's love Mm -hmm. as a global movement. That's, That's actually to give us the biggest possible context. And there you are in those settings in Djibouti and in Somalia and Ethiopia and Uganda global movement of congregations together with God's mission of transformation and then of course multiplication and effective biblical leadership I mean everything you've described is effective biblical leadership right everything you've described is actually you've planted how many churches yeah Six, over 6,300 6, right, yeah, right. that's, that's multiplication right. if I've ever right. heard of it right transformation yeah. not only do trips like that transform you but they transform your congregation because you were actually engaged in a global movement that was proclaiming and embodying Jesus's mm-hmm. love to the glory of God. I mean, that sounds like yep. 
the living out of our vision. I think it is. And I think, again, what people need to understand is that none of these churches are EPC churches, right? I mean, because it's bigger than the EPC. This is about us serving the indigenous church in these places. These are indigenous leaders. It's indigenous-led. These are indigenous denominations that are planting these churches. We're there to train, resource, equip, right? Embody the love of Jesus with them and show them what it looks like. We're just organizationally, we're just a little bit further down the road than they are. We've had a couple of hundred years to be able to do this. They, this is all new in some respects to them. Yeah. And so, so now we have the opportunity to give them the benefit of our experience and our wisdom, theology, Bible training, all the things that we have available to us. And then they give to us the benefit of their experience and how the Holy Spirit is moving in these new and fresh ways. And that's the reciprocity that is just the beautiful part of having, again, being a global movement, truly a global movement, being engaged, not just locally, but globally. We don't have to choose. That's the other false notion out there, right? That somehow I got to choose between these two. No, we don't have to choose. We can do both. God has blessed us. We can do both in, in all sorts of different ways, and, and God will honor it. I love the both and yeah, picture right. and the beautiful portrait you painted of reciprocity yeah. where it's of mutual blessing and that's benefit. Right. And that seems to me just so close to the heart of the gospel. So. I agree. Amen, brother. Thank you, brother. I've loved our time together today as yeah. always. Thank, thank, you, thank you for being here and sharing. You bet. Thank you, Dean. All right. Well, my friends, uh, this wraps up another conversation that uh, has been a huge encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you as well. And if it is, would you do us the honor of liking it on social, sharing it with others, passing it on? I think perhaps today's episode, you might want to pass on to the mission director of your church or people in your congregation who have a heart for the nations, that they would be encouraged how they too, even in their local setting, could be a part of this global movement to the glory of God. Well, we end as we always do, my friends, with a good word from God's word from Colossians chapter one. You see, the sun is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation, for in him, that is in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and invisible. And sometimes you have to go to the ends of the earth to see the invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, my friends, have been created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church, and that includes the EPC. And so, my friends, until the next time in which we gather in this space to lean in and listen to one another about these glorious things of the gospel, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.